0: Today, I'm excited about introducing you to a friend of mine. Almost three years ago, I encouraged my son to approach Jeremy, the pitching coach at the time for LE, to talk to him about working with him more in the off season. Little did I know God was taking Jeremy on a different journey. We began to meet up and as I was asking him questions for help to encourage my son in one of his passions, he was asking me questions regarding ministry. About a year ago, God opened the door into fellowship of Christian athletes for Jeremy with his background in college and professional baseball and his years of coaching. It was a picture of how man plans his way, but God orders his steps. I admire Jeremy's hunger to grow more and more in God's word and his desire to communicate that word through a different perspective. We believe in what he's doing to pour into the next generation, as well as pour into the coaches who have the ear of the next generation. We've begun to support him as a church on a monthly basis, and we'll give to him again today as well. Will you do me a favor and please welcome my friend, J. Ray.
1: Good morning. I need to get that on my phone and just carry it around with me right there. That was was good. He said exactly what I told him to say. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Again... um, This is my first time speaking here, but I've been here several times, and I I love it. And one of the big reasons I do love it is because of that man right there. Um, You know, I don't know what this is about. I like to say that we all need three people in our lives. We need a Paul, somebody that can mentor to us. We need a Barnabas. Like a brother, and a Timothy, somebody we can pour into. He's been my Paul. Anyway, enough of that stuff. Let's get out. Let's get out of that. <laughs> let's get out of that. All right. Um, like he said, I am. I'm the local representative for FCA for Kershaw County, which is a fancy way of saying I'm a sports missionary here in town. Um, right now, I'm currently meeting with several teams and coaches on a weekly basis, just pouring into them, spreading the word, uh, building that relationship, trying to help them out any way I can. Um, Sports for me was always my idol. So now giving back, I'm trying to keep that from other people doing that. Okay. Um, right. Great day. So the title for my message today, if I had to give it a title, it's called The Rematch. Um, from the garden to the wilderness. So, what we, we're going to see what the second Adam was able to do that the first Adam couldn't. Um, first thing we need to understand is that nobody is immune from temptation. And in fact, if you're not feeling much temptation, you might be playing for the wrong team. Okay. But before we get into temptation, let's, look, let's first look at the tempter, our enemy. You know, it's always important in, in any team, any game, any match, any fight, that you're, you're aware of what your opponent's going to try to do, okay, the tactics he's going to use. And what we'll see here is the devil uses the same tactics today as he did in the garden. And it says in Genesis 3.1, he's referred to as a serpent. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Something, something to keep in mind here. Whenever God created Adam and Eve, He gave them dominion over all the beasts of the field. So the fact that there was there's a serpent here is not necessarily a, a scary thing. Now, if we see a talking snake, we're probably going to run from it, right? But during this time, it was it wouldn't have been anything that would have spooked you. It says he was crafty. Crafty but not very creative. We'll see he uses the same three methods or categories today of temptation. Now, why do you think he uses the same strategy? It works. Because it works. Okay? Why change it? Keep it simple, stupid, right? Now, the word crafty in this sense might be described as the ability to do anything. We've all got these people that we know that can take anything and make anything out of it. Just crafty people, right? We're not talking about that as much as from, a, from an evil sense today. Um, Satan stops short in nothing, no matter how reprehensible to attain his purposes. He's very resourceful, but he uses those resources for evil. He's tricky. His tricks are mainly mind games that manifest in the, in the bigger sense. As we'll see, too, a lot of temptation comes from the outside, but a lot of it comes from the inside out. Now, in baseball, the word craft is used sometimes to reference a pitcher. And kind of what it means in that sense is somebody who just beats you. You can't figure it out. You don't know why they always win, but they just beat you. Okay? Much nicer, nicer sense of the word. Now, just as Satan used a serpent in the garden to tempt Eve, he uses things in our life. He's there, but he don't want you to know he's there. So he uses things like family, friends, social media, TV. He don't want to spook us. He, he, he don't want us to see him coming. You know, when, when I was a kid, I used to think the devil had a red suit on with the, with the horns and the pitchfork. It's not this way. It's a lot more subtle than that. It's a lot more subtle than that. A matter of fact, it... It often comes from, from things that are so comfortable to us that it, that it grabs us by the throat. Now, what do we learn from the garden? So, again, we see that Satan's attacks are subtle. He didn't march in and say, hey, Eve, I'm here to deceive you today. He didn't do that. He operates the same way today. His first tactic was to distort God's command. did God really say, did God really say? He was trying to instill doubt in Eve's mind and maybe get her to think that God may not know what is best. Oftentimes, sin will start with doubt. Just a simple doubt of you getting deceived. When Eve responded, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, she was telling the truth. But her mistake was her focus was more on the one she couldn't have than all the other trees that God had blessed her with. Don't this happen to us all the time? We get tempted and we spend so much time thinking about what we can't, what we don't have that we lose sight of all the blessings we do have. For a temptation to be appealing it usually contains some degree of truth. Okay? When Satan promised Eve... What Satan promised Eve was partly true, but the ultimate end was a lie. The truth is that by Eve giving in to this temptation, her eyes will be open. That was true, okay, but it was for much for the wrong purpose. This led Eve to entertain the idea that God, what God had said, was not true. Now, usually, sometimes the first thing the first thing we do when temptation comes is we deny. Or we try to convince ourselves that there will be no consequences, no judgment. The heat of the moment, and this is a very dangerous moment because at this point we are leaning toward the wrong choice. Once you get rid of the idea that judgment is a, that there is a consequence of your disobedience, because that's really all it is—disobedience. Once you once you get past it, there's a consequence. You can entertain anything. And this is our world today. Racism, abortion, adultery, same-sex marriage, gender neutrality, covetousness. covetousness. I'm much better at math. Because people, people believe there's no consequences to what they're doing. It's a very scary place that we live in now. Because this is what it is. Eve gave in because... She saw that the tree was worn. It was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. And it was desirable for gaining wisdom. It made her more like God. These are the same temptations that John talks about. The desires of the flesh. The desires of the eyes. And the pride of life. Again, the same three that we'll see today. same three that we get tempted with every day. Now, it looks different. It's not the same flavor, but it's the same method, the same strategy. There's a, there's a pattern at sin that we see in Scripture. You start listening to the creature first instead of the creator. So you're listening to the wrong source. We go with our own impressions instead of God's instruction. We make self-fulfillment the goal. We are, by nature, selfish creatures. So we want to do things to fulfill our needs, and we want to do them by ourselves because we want it now. The prospect of these things seem good to life when in fact it leads to death or separation from God. Proverbs fourteen twelve. there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, its way is death. Now, the, the temptation of Adam and Eve parallels temptation of Jesus. What was lost with the first Adam was regained through the second Adam in his perfection. All right, now let's get to the main event. If you're skipping ahead, you can get to Matthew 4. We'll read 1 through 11. Now, we've got kind of set the, set the stage here. Jesus just got baptized and just had the Spirit of the Lord come upon him. You're talking about a high, man. I mean, there's, no, there's nowhere else to go up from there. So he is set to begin his ministry. But before he does, we see here in Matthew 4 1 11, he's led into the wilderness. All right, so uh, Matthew 4 1, Word of the Lord. Now, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Does that surprise anybody? He was hungry. I can't get 40 minutes. And he's talking about 40 days. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now he's kind of bold there, right? He's using he's using scripture, using the word of God against the word of God. That's a pretty bold move. Jesus responded. I can just see, you know, in, in, in this, this image of the third temptation here, I can just see Jesus kind of bowling up at him now. I'm like, all right, I'm done. Go on. Okay. I'm getting chills now, man. I love I love a good fight, you know what I mean? <laughs> so again, we set the scene. He just been baptized in the Jordan. He's still wet, man. he's, he's still wet from the water. And he sent out to the wilderness. And notice it says he was led there. He didn't wander off into the wilderness. He didn't go for a hike. He didn't go check his deer cameras nothing like that. He was led so that he could be tested and prepared for what he and his ministry will face. In, this, in his humanity state, he will also learn what it feels like to be tempted. And also how it feels to solely rely on God kind of skipping ahead here but you know he, he fasted 40 days in his human state that's that's rough but he also spent 40 days talking to the lord just imagining conversations and learning how to how to live solely on the lord so he spiritually he was well fed so even though he was very vulnerable in this confrontation he wasn't weak So what's at stake here during this little battle? If Satan can tempt Jesus to sin, then all will be lost. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but to fill that role, He must be without sin. First temptation. The tempter came to Him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, let me me back up. The Lord will lead us into these... Wilderness places. He will allow us to be tested. But we sometimes wander ourselves off there, don't we? We sometimes put ourselves in situations that that are wilderness situations. So it's very important to know the difference. So the first temptation. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Turn these stones into bread. Satan attacks his appetite. He's hungry. He's fasting 40 days. He's trying to get Jesus to use his power to satisfy his own desire and his need to be self-sufficient. got any self-sufficient people in here that were full of I know. Speaking for me too. Even though Jesus was hungry and vulnerable, he succeeded where Adam failed. And you got to remember, Adam and Eve wasn't even fasting whenever they failed. For all we know, they just got done eating from one tree and then they grabbed this tree. So, again, it shows you how, in, how impeccable Jesus was and just how substantial his victory over, over temptation is. Jesus chose spiritual priorities over desires of the flesh. We see through Jesus' example that we too have the power of the Spirit and the Word to withstand temptation. No matter how vulnerable we are, never forget that Adam and Eve failed. Follow man. We had to have a rematch. And this is our rematch. Now don't underestimate Jesus' humanity here. He hadn't eaten food for 40 days. He was hungry, yes. Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. His body needed food just like ours do. Also notice Satan didn't come at him on the first day of the fast. Wouldn't it be nice if we get attacked when we're fresh and strong? And feel good. But he didn't He didn't do that. He, he waited till he was in his most vulnerable state. But again, Satan is crafty. He knows when and where to attack. Each one of us has that one sin that we keep getting attacked on. It's different for everybody. The one that we often pray about. The one that we often ask forgiveness for. We're trying to escape it. Instead, let's try to find freedom from it. Now, we all have an appetite for different things, and I'm not necessarily talking about food. Okay? For some of us, lust might be an appetite. Greed, fame, anger, gossip, the way we talk. We're all craving something. Attention. Social media is pretty, pretty evident on that. So we all have a different appetite. Now, let's just be honest. Some things don't tempt you, right? There's just some things that, like shopping, don't tempt me. Like, like it, they don't. It, you know, uh, fruit desserts don't tempt me a whole lot. You know what I mean? Chocolate cake. I mean, looking at me, you might think you might you might you might think otherwise. But I'm still working on the uh, before picture right now, though. So we can. Um, so again, like we said, Jesus was hungry physically, but he was spiritually well fed. So kind of kind of makes me think about if we're spiritually well fed, how maybe we can react when we get tempted. And Jesus responded, it is, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He went straight to the Scripture. Notice Jesus didn't argue with him. He didn't debate him. He didn't say, hey, you know, you're wrong. He just went straight to Scripture. Second temptation, if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He's trying to get Jesus to force his hand, force God's hand. This would also create a stir, man. If, if he jumped off that temple, there'd be thousands of people down there. He would definitely go viral. Okay? It would kind of legitimize his ministry without having to go through what he's going to go through. Second temptation also kind of appeals to the approval of others. I struggle with this one a lot. Just standing up here today, man, like, I want y'all to affirm me, and I want to I I I be approved in that, in that. So it's kind of one of those things to where, again, prove it is kind of some of the dangerous, most dangerous words you can say to somebody. If you are a real man, prove it. If you are, prove it. And if you are this, prove it. Essentially, that's what he's doing to Jesus. If you are the son of man. Notice he didn't say since you are. He said if you are. Satan knew who he was. But by saying, if you are, he's not, he doesn't have to admit that he is the Son of God. The devil even quotes Scripture this time. And this is a bad move, like we talked about. You're talking to the Word of God about the Word of God. And I think it's funny, too, that he also left out part of that verse, part of that passage. He's quoting from Psalms 91 the very next line in there says that Jesus will trample the serpent. He left that out. But don't we sometimes take scripture, a part of a scripture and try to turn it turn it just a little bit to make it make us feel better about what we're doing? And again, if you've never done it, somebody's somebody you know's done it. We can't force God to perform a miracle just by living on faith. What I mean is you can't you can't just quit your job and be like, Yeah, I trust I trust the Lord. He's gonna provide. You can't just stop paying your mortgage and say, Well the Lord's gonna take care of us. Okay. Jesus will take care of our needs, but It doesn't necessarily say if we're lazy, reckless, or uh, irresponsible. Jesus responds, it is also written. So he looked at Satan and said, I'll do you one better. Do not put your Lord God to the test. Third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, Satan offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And what we see is this was a valid offer. Scripture tells us that the devil is the prince of this world. He's the god of this world. The prince and power of the air. But Satan offered Jesus all the power and authority that God had promised Jesus. But without the cost of self-denial, rejection, and crucifixion. So it's it's, it's more like a quick fix. We live in a quick fix world. Microwave society. All Jesus had to do was dethrone God and exalt his own desires. He would have had everything. Now Jesus knew he was still going to have everything. But he chose us. He chose us to get it. Now this temptation really shows... What Satan wants he wants to be worshiped. He wants he wants to be worshiped. His tactics are to lay before Jesus three shortcuts to the Father's will. Satan is going to try to use Jesus identity and his power against him. He's going to appeal to Jesus' sense of obedience but offer him an alternate plan. So again, very subtle. Very subtle. I know you're going to have this, but hey, you can have it quicker if you do this. The dangerous thing, by nature, we're all look for shortcuts. And this world keeps inventing things that offer a smoother path to what we want. You know, drop three dress sizes in ten minutes or, you know, Lose, lose 50 pounds in a week or, you know, there's, all, there's always something new coming out to tempt us. Now, God's, God's purpose for sending him to the wilderness was not to see if he would, but to prove that he could not sin. So God knew he was not going to sin. He had to prove. Prove to the devil. Prove to everyone else. And I love this part. Satan meant to destroy him. And what Satan did to try to destroy him actually validated him. You know, what the enemy means for evil. God turns it to good. Now, the way Jesus overcame Satan's temptation was not by denying God's word, but relying on it. Kind of something to think about is whenever you are faced with a temptation, don't run from the devil, run toward Jesus. I know that kind of sounds like well, you're going to run. No, don't run from the devil. Don't run from the temptation itself, because you're going to find yourself right back there. Run toward Jesus. Run toward Jesus. He's already done it. He's already beat it. Now, if you are not a believer, you have no choice but to fight temptation alone. Hate to say it that way, but that's, that's, that's the truth. The good news is that, the Christians, that Christians don't face temptation alone. For we have a Savior whom we can go to, and who has fought, who has struggled with temptation, and was always victorious. Jesus' life of obedience and faithfulness is an example to us when we face temptation, since we have the same resources he did. The Holy Spirit, the word of God, and prayer. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's James 4 7. First Corinthians 10 13. Temptations of your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out that you can't endure. He always gives us an exit strategy, always gives us a way out. He will allow us to have trials and be tested. But when the temptation comes, there's another door. It's another door. We just have to take it. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin. He's, he's, he's been through it. Nothing we go through he's never, he's never gone through. Hebrews 2.18 since He Himself has gone through suffering and testing, He is able to help us when we are being tested. First John two fifteen through seventeen. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world you do not have the love of Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see. And pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from this world. And this world is fading away. Along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now how should the belief that God might lead us into trial or temptation change the way we respond to Him? If we accept if we accept the fact that we know that we will be tempted, we will be tested even in our highest moments. How can we approach it? We can hold on to our faith knowing that God is in control. Above all else, God is in control. We can view these circumstances as opportunities to grow in our faith and to practice what we believe. we can know for certain that God is with us even when it feels like he's not. We can face a difficulty with a heart set on obedience. Our mindset, our daily mindset, what's in our heart, all these things can help us to either be prepared for the temptation or be prepared to have to fight through it. Now, what are some reasons that we should not treat our relationship with God as transactional? For a long time, I had a transactional relationship with the Lord. I would pray to Him when I needed things, when I was in a bad way, but I didn't spend the time every day talking to Him. Very transactional. Like He owed me something for being obedient. But our obedience should be based on gratitude. Gratitude one god creating us and for him saving us in jesus our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to the holiness of god god owes us nothing we owe him everything think about how 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 much gratitude you show whenever you, you get a present that you wanted We got the greatest gift ever. What kind of gratitude are you showing? He gives us life, breath, and everything we need. If we have a transactional view of our relationship, it puts us on the pedestal and brings God even lower. Be prepared by the truth. Our mindset during temptation may be what gets us out. Just remember, no one is immune from temptation. We have the same war. We have the same weapons. We can have the same victory. With Jesus, we always have an escape route. We just have to choose to take it. We have to choose to take it. Again, if you're not able to see that escape route, you might be playing for the wrong guy. No matter how strong you are, how strong you are in the word, how much you come to church, temptation's gonna find you. Temptation is gonna find you every day. Every day. Whenever you leave here today, you're gonna be tempted before you get home to maybe say something you shouldn't. Go somewhere you shouldn't or do something you shouldn't do. Let us pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us, Lord, and to give us a way out. Lord, we don't know what temptation will be today, but Lord, we know that it will be. Help us to seek you during that temptation, Lord. Prepare us, Lord. Prepare us for battle, because that's what we are in, is a battle. Lord, just thank you for giving us the ability to discern good from evil. Thank you for giving us the wisdom, Lord. Most importantly, Lord, thank you for fighting for us. We know we're not in this alone, Lord. Jesus has gone ahead of us, prepared the way, and fought about for us, Lord. Help us to just spend less time striving for victory, Lord, and more time just coming from victory. In Jesus' name, amen.